Addis Huxley. Now, I've heard that name. I think it's about 90 years ago, 90-some years ago. He published a, a classic uh, fiction novel called The Brave New World. If you, haven't, if you don't know anything about it, you ought to hunt it up. And I don't know if it's in our library or not, but it's in the public library, I'm sure. The Brave New World predicted the future, uh, 600 years or so beyond when it was written. I think it comes out to something like uh, 25, 32, or 25, somewhere in there. So it's still out there in his word. And like many futuristic novels, Huxley was not optimistic about our destiny. He painted a pretty scary picture of society in which humans were cloned. I think about that, 90 years ago. Humans were cloned. People were controlled by technology. Religion was obsolete. Sex was merely recreational. And the society was obsessed with it. And the concept of family or belonging to one another completely eliminated. Sounds all too familiar, does it not? You pick up the newspaper, you watch a TV program, and, and you can't help but think that we've already come a long ways toward that brave new world that Addis Huxley, Huxley was talking about so many years ago. More and more we've been controlled by technology. How many times a day do you hear references to the Internet or the Facebook or Twitter, now X, or the new kid on the block, AI, cell phones, mini computers, digital cameras, Smart TVs, we had one of those we were working with in Sunday school this morning. Smartphones, commonplace. What would we do without them? It's not necessarily a bad thing if technology does serve us, but not the other way around. Remember, though, when computers were first coming out? Some of you can. It's not that many years ago. They were first coming out, and the big promise was, he would save us time, right? How's that worked out? So too, increasingly, we're becoming a society controlled by science. You remember the COVID science. Wear a mask, then don't wear a mask. Lock down, don't lock down. Now take the booster. Now the boosters don't do any good. Now the super boosters are supposed to do good. We still don't know what science is talking about. And I'm afraid in many of those cases, science doesn't know what it's talking about. Before COVID, the hottest topic around was cloning, like Huxley's new world, building body parts. Remember that? They were going to be building, building new pieces for us so that when we had a, a cancer or had to remove something, we could put, it, put another one back that was made out of, out of the cells from our own body. That was not too far away. In some, some ways, it's already here. It's a pretty scary thought, though, when we think today of Wuhan, how when we start creating things in the lab, the truth is cloning body parts could save lives and it could do a great deal to end a lot of suffering, but it could also become the greatest nightmare we've ever known. On the moral side, there's no doubt that we have become a society obsessed with sex. And I'm convinced that if we were to tape any three-hour segment almost on a, on a, a weeknight TV of ABC, NBC, CBS, those, those guys, on any night, out of those three hours of programming, we might take out all the commercials, take out all the, the references to sex, all the 
the uh, suggestive conversation and every provocative camera angle. And out of the three hours, you'd be good to find 30 minutes. That was actually entertainment. But instead of recognizing sex for what it is, God's gift to us, we insist on misusing it and treating it in a form of recreation, entertainment, and advertising. More and more, the whole concept of family is becoming passé. Increasingly, divorce rates are still climbing. Number of single-parent families still climbing. Now we've introduced same-sex marriages and gender confusion all around us, and it's growing. All threaten the stability of the family. And the result is that a lot of people are going to end up very alone. And finally, what about the increasing intolerance of religion? In the brave new world, the government took the place of God. Ultimate separation of church and state. People didn't need a savior. They needed the state. Now you think about that in our world today. And this mentality, it's, it's all around us. The state will solve our problems. If we have troubles with our neighbor, we don't talk to our neighbor. We call the police. We expect a law to be passed. Or the H- HMO or what is it? Uh, HOA. HOA to take care of the, the, of the problem. It's all around us. It's all around us. In the midst of political battles and in the battles regarding gender rights or abortion or sexual predator laws or any number of other issues, many people have the misconception that if we make the right rules, if we pass the right laws, then that'll take, take it all away that problem of sin will somehow disappear. Of course, you know that's not the case. The answer isn't in politics. The answer is in the church. It's in God. But as long as the church's place in society continues to decrease, society will become more and more unstable and more and more chaotic. So the question is, as the society you and I live in, very much in the center of, as it hurls itself to this brave new world, is there any hope for survival? The answer is yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. But our hope cannot be in technology or science or sensuality or personal freedom or political processes. There's only one hope. Only one hope. And it's greater than society. And it's greater than all the problems we face today. And that one hope is that we can have a personal relationship with the one true God. With the God who created us. With the God who created all of creation, all of the world, all of the universe, everything. This world might seem cold. And it might seem very sick in some ways. Very impersonal. Impersonal. But when you read a psalm like 139, it tells us that the God who created us and calls us to Himself knows us in a very personal, personal way. He knows everything about us. With Him, we're not a number. We're not just a a face in the crowd. Our relationship with God is intimate and personal. And in many ways, 
as unique as a fingerprint. What's more, He loves us. He loves us. He loves us. David knew this intimacy. He knew the strength and the hope it brings. And in this psalm, we can see some powerful truths about the God David knew that enabled David to survive in his world. Those same truths that will help us and hold us up as we try to survive in ours. And one of the truths that just bounces off the pages, and there are many in the psalm, it's a beautiful psalm, is that God does know us absolutely, completely. And He loves us absolutely. Look at one, one, verse 1 and 4, 1 to 4. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. God knows us. You know when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. How well does he know you? How well? Sometimes we like to think, well, I won't say that word because I don't want to say it out loud because especially don't want God to hear it. I might say it to you, but I'm not going to, you know. We play those games all the time. God hears it all the time. God knows what you're thinking, even before a word's on your lips. He knows it. He knows it, and yet He still loves you absolutely. Absolutely. That blows my mind. I hope it blows your mind, too, a little bit. Just think about it. You know. You know all the little, little things, those little dark corners of your life. You know everything about yourself. God knows too. And you would think He would not love you. You would think He would be disappointed. You would think He'd be frustrated. You would think He would say, what am I going to do with this, this human being, this, this dawn that I have made? What am I going to oh, well, I'll just wold him all up in another ball of clay and I'll make another one. A little better next time. No. No, not, not this time. God loves me. God loves you. How many times have we said, you know, I can't understand what I do. I can't understand why I do the things I do. You know, like Paul in, in Romans 7. You know, the very thing I want to do, that's what I cannot do. But I do what I hate to do. That's what he said. We're all prone to disappoint ourselves. We're all prone to disappoint others around us. You know, if our parents don't understand us, you know, we, we disappoint them. If we don't understand ourselves, we, we disappoint ourselves. It, it's tempting to think in that kind of a, of a way of, of just one disappointment after another in many ways that God is disappointed with us. But He's not. He understands why we're insecure. He understands why we get depressed. He understands why we are fearful. He understands why we're struggling. He understands the temptations that we face every day. He understands why we are the way we are. And it's because He knows us. He knows us. He knows you completely. And He still loves you. Absolutely. Another big truth that comes out of this, this psalm, which will hold us up in some pretty dark days, is that God is with you always. Catch the word always. And takes care of you always. 
Where shall I go from your spirit? The psalmist said in verse 7. Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. You're everywhere. If I take wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. Hold me. True story about a bishop in Lutheran church in Hungary back when Hungary was under communist control. He protested for the benefit of his protest. He got thrown into jail. Six years he was in jail. Solitary confinement. Small cell, no windows, no contact with anyone. When the communist government finally fell and he was released, he said this, quote, They thought I was alone in my cell. They were wrong. The risen Christ was present in that room, and in communion with Him, I was able to prevail. Jesus said in in Matthew 28, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. The Bible tells us over and over again that same truth in, in many, many different places. It tells us that no matter how bad circumstances get, no matter how doom and gloom the world looks, and it has plenty of credence to a lot of doom and gloom, but no matter how bad it appears or is, God is there and God is greater. He's with us, and His right hand will hold us up. Of course, you know, the rest of the story is that no matter how bad we get, God is there. When you read the political, the story about uh, the prodigal son or, or Samson or Jonah, I mean, read a bunch of them. Read the Scripture almost from beginning to end. It's about a whole lot of folks just like you and I who get in jams, and here's God. Here's God holding them up because they believe in Him. They trust Him. They love Him. And He loves them. God is all around And still very much involved in our life. He won't let you go. There's no hymn that says, Oh love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. You've heard it maybe. I give thee back the life I owe. That in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. (laughs) C.S. Lewis once made a comment that people speak, that when people speak of of finding God. I've said that myself many times. And I think of this sometimes. When you speak of finding God, he compared that to the mouse bragging that he found the cat. Isn't it good that our security in Christ is not dependent on our finding God? God finds us. God finds us. No matter how dark things get, no matter, no matter how crazy the world becomes, and it's becoming pretty crazy, crazier than I ever thought it could be, God has promised that He will never leave us or forsake us. He is always with us, and He always will take care of us. Always. Always. Let me give you another truth. God is in control of the details of your life. I could say it another way. God is in control of every detail 
of your life. Verse 16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Think about that. Before you and I were ever born, God had a plan for our life. A plan. Throughout history, there's been this big debate about theologians thinking, theologians, amongst theologians, they're the ones that do the debating most most of the time, about predestination and free will and, and how those two interact. And sometimes people want to put them on opposite ends of, of the spectrum and one is, is uh, totally opposite of the other. That's not true. Does God plan everything in advance in painstaking detail or, or does life just happen haphazardly? Do you have freedom to choose or has God already made at least some of those choices for you? An interesting concept. Well, I don't have time to put a whole dissertation in on predestination or free will. But I will say this. The Bible makes it clear that we do have free will. And that we will be held responsible for directions and decisions that we take and make. But at the same time, the Bible makes it clear that God is sovereign. God is in absolute control of your life and my life and everything else. And nothing happens, nothing, zero, that is beyond his control. In the brave new world, humans were, in Huxley's words, predestined. But they were predestined by the state. They were predestined by the state. They were test tube creations. They were made in the lab. And, and so they were fixed to, to do and have the intelligence and all the other things that they would be able to do in the lab in 2532. They'd be created according to the needs of society. The Bible, that, the Bible teaches that you and I are predestined not by the state, thankfully, but by God. And that he has a special plan for each and every one of us, just as, as David said. A plan that is good. A plan that Jeremiah says, so that we will prosper. And what's the plan? Well, the first part of that plan is that we become followers of Jesus Christ. I read in my Bible that it's God's will that none should perish. Does that mean everyone's going to be saved? No, not according to Jesus. Ephesians 1.5 teaches it very clearly. God wants us to become a follower of our Lord Jesus Christ. But secondly, He wants us to become and live like Jesus. We read it somewhat this morning. If we go to Romans 8.29, it's right there. Scriptures tell us that God is, con- is in control of every detail. In Proverbs 16, the Lord works out everything for His own ends. And we know that in all things God works for good for those who love Him. We read it this morning as our first reading. Who have been called according to His purpose. God is in control. That doesn't make us a robot. 
He doesn't use us against our will. He does, however, offer assurance that if we trust Him, the details of our lives will all work out for our favor. Our favor is good. He wants what is best for us. Sometimes that doesn't feel that way, but it is always true. There's no question that our world is changing. There's no question, there's more questions really than answers in many places. Don't listen to all the doomsayers. Don't listen to everybody that tells you this is the last chance. Don't be swayed by fear-mongering. Wow, we went through a lot of that, didn't we? Whether these, these changes are political or social or very, very personal, we don't have to be dominated by fear or live without hope. The Bible tells us that we are more than conquerors, you and I. More than conquerors. Because God has called us His child. Because we believe and trust in Him. He, he put His hand in our life and He has claimed it for Himself. For eternity. Because He knows all about us. He knows all about us, just as He did David. And He still loves us, just as He did David. Because He has promised to never forsake us, never leave us, always be there. Because He is in control of all the details of our life and all the world around us. And He's working out those details for His glory. For His glory. And that will be for our good. How do we know that to be true? Because of the cross and the empty tomb. That was God on that cross. He loves us that much. We read it in John 3.16, God so loved the world, you, me, Whoever believes in Him, in Jesus, will have everlasting life. Right? Can you hear the good news in that? Can you trust every aspect of your life to anyone better? Why wouldn't everybody believe in this God? Can you give your worship and your life to anyone more deserving? God loves us. God loves you. God has called us as individuals in the church to be His body. Think about it. His body in this world. And indeed, it is a brave new world. Let's pray.